What is going on, guys? We are in the zone. This is episode 187 today. Going to be actually a pretty jam-packed episode. Um, but, you know, as always, last week, Thursday, we did a nice podcast. I'm watching the Blue Jays game. It's about, what, 8.30 at night, and I get a ding, the score. I get a notification. Matt Kachuk, Alino gets traded, traded to the Florida Panthers for two guys that I I thought had no business getting traded, Huberto and Wegar. And as well, there I'm looking here, we have Cole Schwint, a 2025 first-round pick for Matt Kachuk and a fourth-round pick. And then we all saw that Kachuk resigned. For nine and a half million for eight years, Alino, is there a winner in this trade? And if there is, who is the winner? Yeah, for right now, I think uh, the Panthers won that. But long term, if Huberto resigns, Rieger resigns, and all these uh, picks and prospects shape up, I think Calgary is going to look like you know what they dodged a bullet here because last week we were talking about Kachuk saying he wanted to be out immediately. Fucking guy didn't even say, oh, yeah, maybe sometime down. We'll see how the trade deadline goes. No, he said immediately. And uh, the Calgary's probably like, this fucking asshole. Let's trade him to Florida. <laughs> and they go and uh, <laughs> get Huberto. So good for Calgary. They had to do something. You can't lose uh, Johnny Goudreau and Maka Chuck and not get anything in return. So they got a huge haul back. And now they got an all-star to fit in their lineup. And they still got some cap space to maneuver. How do you think a guy like Jonathan Huberto acted on this situation because i saw at first he was a little sour didn't really know how to react again you've been with a team it's a team that drafted him what 11 years ago so i feel like he was a little hurt a little disappointed but then he started to realize you know it's a business so you get traded again i'll you know i was saying last week to you this was a team where the franchise was, was almost at least i thought in shambles like if kachuk walks they don't get anything for him this is a complete wash of a season and basically a wash of Markstrom's prime. Like the guy showed how incredible he can be. And all of a sudden you see the GM really wake up, smell the coffee and say, look, I mean, we could get something for Matt Kachuk still. He's only 24 years old and bam, they go out and get, I, I've met, I said to you before the paw went up, Mackenzie Weger, hell of a defenseman. This is a guy where you look at, his intangibles, he's just a great two-way, reliable defenseman. He'll shut the best uh, opposition down. He'll get you 50 points, too. And we, we're, like, we're looking at Calgary's blue line. It's already pretty loaded. So they have a great blue line. They have a great goalie. Yeah, you know, you lose a, two 100-point players, but you garner another 100-point player in this trade. I honestly, if I had to lean on a winner, I think I got to go with the Flames right now. I mean, Matt Kachuk. He's going to be a great player. He got 100 points this season. I don't see him doing it again. Now, Alex Barkov is a hell of a player, a hell of a talent. But Matt Kachuk is a type of player where, yeah, you know, his brother got $8 million for, and I want to say Matt is a little bit better offensively, not too much. But I think at this point in time, you're giving up Huber to Wegar. You gave up Giroux. You gave up a couple other guys just to, for what, to get one player? So it's a huge risk here. Makachuk is going to have to deliver. And like Bill Zito said, he thinks Makachuk, dude, take this in, is generational. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, that's... I know Makachuk, he's a great player. And like just even last week when we were talking about like him wanting to be out immediately, like sometimes he gets a little carried away in Florida. 
maybe they needed a personality like that to drive more fans into the arena. But I don't know. This could be really risky because his whole contract, I think, is all signing bonus related. I think he's only making a million dollars in salary. So they're paying him a lot before the year. And if he doesn't produce, they're going to be looking dumb and saying, you know what? We just paid this guy like eight and a half million dollars in July and he's not doing anything. I think they look at the age group too of their core now, and it's I guess rejuvenated. You know, Barkov is crazy to say this, man. He's one of the older players now on the team. He's 26, 27 years old. You have Sam Reinhardt, who's 24. You have Verhage, who's about 25, 26. This is a pretty young, offensive-minded team. And you know, Anton Lundell, we talked about him. He's a guy that went first. Uh, he was in the first round. He's a great player as well. So they do have Dennis Sanko on the way. This is a team that has a boatload of offensive potential. But, you know, you're looking at Makachuk on Florida. It looks pretty nice, by the way. But it's just one of those things where this division, Alino, has improved tremendously. Buffalo has improved a bit. Detroit, Montreal, Ottawa, all those teams have improved. The only two teams to me that have stayed afloat or have gotten worse is Boston and Florida. So, and you could also argue the Leafs, but I still think the Leafs are a playoff team. But with Florida here, I'm okay. I'm not going to say they're not a playoff team, but they're not winning. I don't think they're winning the President's Trophy. What do you think about that? Because Makachuk is a guy, yeah, you know, he can get you all, he could be that pest. Uh, is he Brad Marchand like? I guess so, but do it three years in a row and then I'll call you Brad Marchand. So, what do you think about uh, Florida's chances of winning the President's? Yeah, I don't think they – okay, maybe not the President's Trophy, but they could be a team where them and Tampa, if Tampa regresses a lot and they just hit a wall and they're not producing, maybe Florida can sneak in and battle them for that uh, other spot there. I think the Leafs are safe, even though they had lost a lot of third and fourth line guys on their depth. They still have Matthews, who was scoring at a pace that we've never really seen in this era of the league, so – I think the Leafs might be better, but if Florida looks at Bobrovsky and if Bobrovsky starts coming up and if he's an old Bobrovsky, this could be a team that's battling for a president's trophy. But if they also trade Bobrovsky and retain a little bit of salary, look at Chicago and maybe pick up uh, Taves or Kane or maybe even both that they can be crafty with the salary. I think this could be a scary team because they got some money that they can maneuver there. I like that. Yeah, I, I do think when you look at Tampa Bay, when you get rid of a guy like Andre Palat, that could either affect you tremendously or, again, we've seen with Tampa, they lose guys, the result is the same. They're still successful. But you look at Florida, I'm a little worried, man, with, with no Huber, though, because this is a guy, I want to say it was year four, year three, year four. I remember he was, I think he, I don't know if he won the, the Calder. I think he was a runner up for it. But like for the longest time, he wasn't exceeding expectations because we thought he was going to be that superstar offensive guy immediately. And it took him a long time. And we saw the, the chemistry build organically with Barkov, with guys like Ekblad. And even as the last two years have kind of panned out, we've seen Sam Reinhardt kind of elevate his goal scoring ability with a guy like Huberto. So I don't know, man. Like you lose a big time playmaker, arguably a top three playmaker in the league in Huberto. I'm not going to say their offense is going to fall off, but I do see a regression from Florida here. Yeah, it's also where, 
Like I know last year they kind of surprised a lot of people, just their plus minus of all those players and just what they were able to do. But you have Ekblad. Yeah, like you have Ekblad still there. I think he's a top defenseman when he's healthy. You lose Mason Marchment, but you still have Carter Verhage. Uh, Duclair might be a while before he's really back in the mix there to gel with a guy like uh, Kachuk. But I still, it's optimistic, but this is, uh, I'm surprised they made this kind of a risky move, even though Hubert was in the final year of his deal. Yeah, dude, honestly, like the overall theme for me with this trade is I don't think there's a winner and I don't think there's a loser. I think both players and both, uh, sorry, both owners absolutely killed it with this trade. Like I mentioned with Florida, they're getting a guy that will add to that young core. And they're also looking to basically win with a young type of core, kind of like the Colorado Avalanche, man. Let's look at their core for a second. Kale McCarr's 23, McKinnon's 27, and then you have Rantanen, who's about 25. I think Florida, after what they saw with Colorado this, this season and winning with those young guys, I think they're trying to do the same thing in Florida sneakily, man. Like you have Kachuk, you have Barkov, you have Ekblad. I think those are the big three, and the rest will kind of come into place. But with Calgary, that like that franchise was floundering, and now they get a guy like Huberto and Wegar. I like it for both teams. But now I got to move on. We're going to talk about a signing, an extension. We talked about Columbus last week, man, with Johnny Hockey, and it looked like it enticed the other big winger to stay, Patrick Laine, getting an eight point seven million dollar AAV for four years for Columbus. What are your thoughts on this? I like it. I think he can get, like I said last week, I think he could get 50 goals if he's playing all year with Goudreau. Take us through this contract, man. What do you think about Line A? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's good for Columbus. Like, when was the last time we were talking about Columbus retaining a superstar <laughs> and signing a, the best free agent available? I think this is crazy, and it just shows the small market teams if you have money available and you have a GM that can sell the, to other stars in the league. It could work. So uh, him and uh, Goudreau together on that first line, I think, is going to be scary for the Eastern Conference. And if you can have those two guys go together, like I know Line played on a good team with a lot of offensive players in Winnipeg, but the kind of skill that Goudreau has, I don't think he has had that. And he's going to play with them for now easily the next four years. And those two together on that first line, I think, you know what? 50 goals isn't uh, out of the question for him. I still can't believe they traded Line and Roslovich for for Dubois. Like that to me is like one of the biggest fleeces I can remember. But you know, dude, the guy had po- a point per game this year. He had 56 and 56, and you're only getting that under nine million, and he's what 24 years old. That like that to me is crazy. If this guy can get I think this is another bet on himself type of contract. I think if I was lining last offseason, I'm like, I could probably get 10 million. I mean, Kaprizov just got nine. So I think he could have maybe asked for 10 million. But, you know, here I think it's a great price for Columbus. I said to you, you're getting Goudreau and Line under 10 million. That is absolutely phenomenal. I think their franchise is in a really good place right now. You have Liam Foodie coming out, you have Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger. They have a lot of young players there. And, of course, they just drafted two young stud defensemen. So the, the Blue Jackets, man, the only thing they're missing for me to say that they're a playoff team is that goalie. Because I, I don't get me wrong, I love Corpus Allo and Merz Lickens. It's just they haven't elevated their game yet. I don't know if I see it happening. But this is what's going to bring me to my next question for you, Alino, because we saw the Atlantic Division 
no, yeah, the Atlantic Division improved tremendously, like I mentioned. You look at the Metro Division, you have Pittsburgh. I don't know. Maybe they're a playoff team. Maybe they're not. Washington's getting rapidly old. Baxter might not play again. Do you see Columbus being the team to kind of make it over an Islanders Devils? Or out of those three, which one do you see making it? Because Columbus, as of right now, they're coming in quick. Yeah, I think uh, Columbus is in that range there where uh, Philly was and uh, Pittsburgh. Like They're going to be battling a bit. It's going to be coming down to Carolina. If Carolina takes a step back and they're not as good as they were, then maybe you're going to see Pittsburgh with Malkin and Latang and that whole core returning and Gensel another year better. So I think there's going to be a, a battle there for a top spot, but I think Columbus is going to be there right for the like the beginning of the year to the end. They're going to be battling for that first and second spot. And if at most they regress a little, I think a wild card spot that there'll be a playoff team in that spot against a Tampa Bay team. So we'll probably have a rematch down the road for a couple of years ago, the payback was when John, uh, <laughs> John Cooper would have nightmares for sure, man. I feel if, uh, if Columbus were to play him, but you know, do you see Columbus being better than New Jersey? I feel like both teams are kind of in a similar situation. You have, you know, Jesper Brad was coming off of 77 points in like 70 games. He was over a point a game. Jack Hughes was over a point a game. With the development, another extra year with those guys, do you see the Devils potentially maybe knocking out a, a Rangers team for the playoffs? Or do you think it's set in stone with, you know, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, those type of teams? Yeah, I think they will, but I think they're just a year away. Like, I think they need a couple more moves on defense and maybe another goalie move. But, like, I think New Jersey is coming up. It's just, like, Hughes has to be more consistent he's a good player uh great offensive creative player uh he shears really good so i think they're just one year away of figuring it out and i think they'll be a playoff team eventually and then it's going to come down to uh carolina because i think they overachieved early on and then all of a sudden they got cockney then ajo's playing unreal uh svechnikov so it's going to come down to those two i think going forward for that wild card um now, I quickly want to transition to another team in the Metro, your boy, Capo Caco, <laughs> getting his extension, round of applause, getting $2.1 million for two years. Um, now, I know he hasn't been the most productive scorer in the NHL, but do you think this contract is a good look for the Rangers, or do you think this is a potential trade option for the Rangers down the line? Yeah, you know, when I first heard the number, I think they overpaid a little bit, like, I think yeah. a team like that that's really against the cap should have held on a little longer because you don't really hear too many teams like going after and willing to offer sheet on because the Rangers could just match. But I think one and a half mil, they could have got them. Uh, 2.1 kind of, I don't know if it really moves you in a good position because it kind of uh, straps you on what you can make in terms of a trade. So if anything, he'll be included in a trade. If you can get Patrick Kane, I think they'll look at Capocaco's deal and say, we'll take a chance on him and help us get a first overall pick because he's another guy developing. But overall, like I had him in fantasy, a top 10 guy. Clearly didn't work out, blew up in my face. But <laughs> I think he'll eventually figure it out. He's a big guy. I think 25 to 30 goals is realistic. Maybe not this year, but 
two years from now when he's uh, looking for that big deal? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to have to if he wants to cash out on his next offer. But it it screams – like, I remember when he went second overall behind Jack Hughes and the whole argument for Kako was, you know, his scoring ability and his confidence and kind of like what we saw with Pooley Arby, man. Very similar players in my opinion. Like, they, they're as skilled as they've been, you know, in Finland or, you know, in the juniors, they come to the – North America and they play in the best league in the world is completely different. And, you know, we've seen it with Kako. We've seen it with Lafreniere. We've seen it with Nolan Patrick. A lot of these guys, they just don't get it early on. But I think a guy like Kako, who's getting groomed with guys like Panarin, who's getting groomed with guys like Kreider, I think those two forwards can really benefit a guy like Kako. Lafreniere, dude, was a different player in the playoffs. A lot of people forget that. He looked a lot more confident. He was hitting. I just think Capocaco at that point, like you mentioned, $2.1 million I think is a little too much. I want to say maybe I would have given him about $1.5, maybe $1.4 at, at the most. But it's going to be interesting to see because all those hot free agents or trade deadline pieces are always going to be linked to the Rangers because of the attractable market. But I want to move on as well. Like I just mentioned, Paul Yarvey, he also got a contract extension, just a one-year $3 million contract, Alino. $3 million? That's another Very overpay, much. I think. So I know he has potential. He played with McDavid a couple, I think it was two months in the season. It looked really great. But, you know, I think Evander Kane ruined his chances of playing on the top line there. It was either Evander Kane or Hyman was playing with him in Dreisaitl. Do you think, because I, I flat out believe this, I think Pugliarvi at some point is getting dealt this summer. I don't see them keeping Pugliarvi. Yeah, and I think the $3 million is too much. Like, he's a guy, okay, he's good, he has potential, but what has he really done? And he lost his position there to Vander Kane, who's coming in, re-signs, and you have Zach Hyman coming in, taking another spot. So I think he's just in limbo on that team. I think they got to trade him. If it's not now, maybe at the deadline, but he's going to be one of those moves that they look at for a rental that if they want to make a deeper run than last year, get to the final. They're going to dangle Pugliarvi's name, maybe a first-round pick, just to try and make it happen. Yeah, it's unfortunate, too. Like we mentioned with guys, you know, like Kako, it's just we saw the potential. He had a great opportunity in Edmonton because we look back when he got drafted in 2016. I mean, other than McDavid, who the hell was really there? I mean, they had – I don't even think they had Hall at that time. I think he got traded by them. He was on the Devils, so – like Pujarvi had the green light and it just did not work out. His IQ wasn't there. His he just was a defensive liability. And now we we saw you know he he did put the puck in the net a couple times. But again, when you play with a guy like McDavid, you have to get the points. If you don't, then you shouldn't be in the National Hockey League. But like it's tough to to really look at the AAV man because Kapanen also got I think three million. And it's kind of like in a similar situation where Kapanen has all the skill in the world, but he doesn't get those results. He doesn't get the stats. Sometimes he's like literally invisible out there. So I think here specifically, man, they're going to do whatever it takes to hold Paul Yarby into, call me crazy, into an Ashushkin type of player where eventually mm-hmm. something must click and he's going to become, you know, that $6 million asset that Edmonton wants. But if not, like I said, I think they're going to trade him very shortly. So 
Regardless, I think Edmonton, when it comes to young players, we've seen in the past, man, Yakupov, they let him go. Eberle, let him go. Hall, let him go. I feel like with these forwards, they don't really give them a chance all too much. And I've even heard rumors that even Yamamoto might not even be with the team anymore. So it's, yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic in Edmonton, especially with Hyman and Kane. But I just want to quickly end hockey talk with uh, uh, the Winnipeg Jets. He was a really, really highly anticipated name come draft night because he was there. He was from Montreal. His agent's like, he wants to play in Montreal. Dubois comes out and says, I never said that. I just said, you know, I, I live there. I, I, I'm literally a walk away from the Bell Center. He gets a one mil, He gets a one-year, $6 million contract with the Jets, avoids arbitration. Do we see Pierre-Luc Dubois' name as the most attractable guy on the trade bait board in February? Or do you think he's just going to stay with the Jets for the year and then eventually walk to a contender at some point? Yeah, I think even before the year, I think Montreal is uh, like all those trades they made, especially clearing up some cap. I think they have the idea that they're going to get Dubois at some point and it's just going to come down to what assets they have to give up. Uh, Montreal probably have to give up more just because Winnipeg is looking at all these guys who had left their team. And if they lose Dubois, that means they really did lose that Patrick Line deal and they lost Rozlovich. So because of everything that happened to them, especially. Uh, a couple years ago when Bufflin left and they lost Myers. Uh, they lost really their whole back line. So this is their only opportunity to get some of those pieces back. And Montreal has some young assets that could be appealing to them. So I think this is just going to drag on a little bit. But Dubois, I think, will be a have at uh, the start of the year. Yeah, I, th- I think he's playing it off, man, honestly. Like, I, th- I think he does, in his heart, want to play for Montreal. Obviously, you're not going to admittingly say it, but I have heard these rumors for a lot. Like, it's the same thing with Drouin. When Drouin was in Tampa Bay and things weren't going well, and you talk about the French Canadian going back to like going to Montreal, that's a dream. So, it's, I feel like this is the same situation with Dubois. You have Dubois be the first, second line center. He's the French guy. I think it just would fit perfectly for Montreal. So, that said, Montreal next year, I, I assume they're a uh, Their fourth line is projected to be Dvorak, Hoffman, and Evans, which is, that's incredible. So I'll just quickly ask this before we move on to WWE. What do you see from Shane Wright and Slavkovsky going into next season? Because I saw Slavkovsky projected to be on the top line with Suzuki and Caulfield. Yeah, I think Slikovsky, uh, if he's playing with those two, I think his points is like the production he's going to have is going to go through the roof because uh, especially Suzuki is going to be more of a playmaker there and Slikovsky's a big boy. So I think he's going to benefit there. I wouldn't rule out him getting like close to 20 goals and I think a lot more assists and goals. I think maybe like a 30 assist year, but I'll keep it at 50 points for him. And Shane Wright, I think he's going to really hit the ground running. I think he's going to be one of those top guys to emerge out of this class and be one of the focal points on Seattle. I think they need him too because they have a lot of vets there like Eberle. And I think this is a perfect fit. So I'll go 60 points for Shane Wright first year. I like that. That's a good prediction. I, I You know what? I, I agree with you there. I think Shane Wright probably going to get more playing time 
more opportunity, but I still think the Slavkovsky Shane Wright uh, Calder race is going to be entertaining as hell. But with that being said, dude, we got to go on. We got to go to the biggest party of the summer. Got to go to SummerSlam. We should call it Single Slam because it's just a bunch of singles matches, man, that I'm seeing. So the first match that I guess we'll talk, I'll, I'll go through the card. There's eight matches here that are listed. The first match that has been promoted so much, man, Logan Paul versus The Miz in a singles match. Is this where the typical celebrity wins it, or do you see The Miz taking this? Because honestly, man, what we saw at WrestleMania from Logan Paul, I think this match could be pretty good. Yeah, I think uh, it, it could be good. Like I'm expecting them to really go out there, but they're expecting Logan Paul to be the baby face out of this. And on Raw, it looked like The Miz was still getting more majority of the reaction. Like. Logan Paul's fan base is obviously going to cheer for him, but people who don't know who he is and they just follow WWE, I think they'll be in the Miz's corner and this is going to be a little counterproductive. So uh, I don't think it's going to have that same effect that they want, but Logan Paul gets the win here. But I want to see what Ciampa does because he's with the Miz. So if the Miz wins this, I think it will be because of Ciampa. But if Ciampa's not involved, I think Logan Paul, they got to make the celebrity look strong. What do you see with Ciampa? Because I saw his promo, and it was absolutely phenomenal. Do you see Triple H going with a direction where you have Ciampa as a face, kind of running over the Miz, or do you see him kind of being that dominant heel and just sticking with the Miz for now? Because I think Ciampa's ready, man. It's been a long time coming. This is a guy I think has to have a meaningful feud at some point, and I think Ciampa with the Miz – would be incredible, especially Logan Paul. It's what he'll be back what, for WrestleMania. That's about it. So I think Ciampa, the Miz, especially now with Triple H under control, I think that might have to happen, man. Honestly, yeah, Ciampa. I think this is his uh, chance. I think Triple H is going to look at it and say, "Okay, you stuck it out. Uh, you didn't leave when uh, you know all the other guys left and went to AEW, and you're not obviously like the biggest guy who fits Vince McMahon's mold. And now that Triple H is in charge, I think." He always liked them, and it's going to be his chance to repay him. So I think Trump is going to be involved in a big program after this. Maybe even if it's the Miz, maybe they'd go and do a one-on-one. But him as uh, the Miz's hype man backstage has been pretty entertaining. So if they keep this on for another couple months and then he eventually turns on them and uh, does his own thing or joins Judgment Day, I think uh, Trump is going to be a big name going forward on Raw. Yeah, he deserves it. It's been a long time coming for him. But the next match we got here is Pat McAfee versus Happy Corbin. They have history. Both played on the Colts together. Um, We saw what McAfee, just kind of like what Logan Paul did at Mania, we saw what McAfee did. He was incredible against against, uh, Vince McMahon over there. (laughs) Vince McMahon and Austin Theory. But um, do you – I mean – Let's be honest here. Cappy Corbin probably not winning this match. But what do you envision for Pat McAfee in this one? I think uh, Corbin's going to get a lot of offense in, and then McAfee will come back and rally. Uh, He'll throw some moves out there that maybe we haven't seen before. He'll go up on the top rope and uh, do that swan tone bombini that he's calling it. And uh, I think he'll win the match. But after the match, I think, we're going to see some signs of Corbin finally changing this uh, happy character and going a little bit back to that lone wolf he was in NXT. So I'm expecting a beat down on uh, McAfee after this is all done. I like that. Yeah, because I'm tired of the whole Corbin happy. I'm tired of that. 
he's got to change his character. He's got to become a little bit more meaningful again because this is a guy, dude. He won the money in the bank. Baron Corbin has had a lot of success in WWE. People forget. Remember when he feuded with Cena, like way back? That was a that was a big deal for him. So I'm happy for both guys here. Obviously, you're getting a spot at SummerSlam. That's huge, but. Yeah, I don't see any good positive results for Corbin in this one. So I'll go with Pat McAfee winning that one. Uh, the next match we have, I don't know why this is a thing, but they have to add it, is for the U.S. title. We have Theory versus Lashley. Lashley we saw beat him clean. I think this was two or three weeks ago on Raw. Like, dude, what what the hell is WWE doing with Austin Theory? Yeah, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think Lashley's just going to steamroll him. I think this will be a squash. This will be like a Goldberg-type match. He's going to come in there and run him over, and uh, Theory will be out of commission for a little bit. I just, again, they deserve better, man, especially Lashley after the year he just had. He, he was rolling. He was the champ. He was taking out guys like Drew McIntyre, going one-on-one with guys like Lesnar. It was freaking incredible, man. And then now this guy's facing Austin Theory. For the U.S. title, it's like okay, man. Like, I guess my biggest question is when does Lashley drop this belt? Because I don't know who the hell's going to take it from. Is it is going to be Finn? Is it going to be Kevin Owens? Like, I I have no idea, man. It's just one of those matches where very underwhelming for both of the guys that are involved. I'm going to go with obviously Lashley winning this as theory has money in the bank and he has bigger admirations right now, but. Next match we got to go on is the tag team match for the undisputed tag titles with Jeff Jarrett as a special guest referee. Haven't heard his name in a while. Uh, the Usos versus the Street Profits. Alino, I got a question. Where the hell's the New Day? Yeah, the New Day. You would think if the Usos are linked here, they would pick up that feud again. But yeah, this is odd. Uh, I'm expecting Jeff Jarrett to do the typical thing. This is actually kind of weird because it's like SummerSlam is an NXT takeover for uh, the real main event the next night with Ric Flair's final match, and he's going to be taking on Jeff Jarrett. So I think Jeff Jarrett's going to get that guitar ready. He's going to smash it over uh, Montez Ford or Angelo Dawkins, help the Usos win, and then uh, give a little prelude of what's going to happen the next night when he smashes the guitar over Ric Flair and probably causes him to bleed all over the place. <laughs> I love the the vignettes and the promos for that. that that's that, that's just legendary stuff, man. But uh, do you? So you? I assume you see the the Usos continuing their long reign as the bloodline. Like those guys have not lost, and it feels like it has been years. It's been a long time. But um, call me crazy. Isn't it a little underwhelming that it's the Street Profits? I think, yeah, a little bit, just because this feud has uh, been like going on for a while. I think if the Street Profits were fresh off a big win, maybe, or maybe if they even had a triple threat tag, had the New Day involved, I think it would have been a lot more fun. But this is like a copy and paste type of matchup that we've seen on SmackDown and Raw and a few other pay-per-views now for too long. The only thing that I'm excited for is if they give this about 10 to 12 minutes of solid tag team wrestling, man, this could be incredible. So kind of like what we saw at WrestleMania with the tag team match, I think it was, what, a three-way or a fatal four-way. It was just absolutely incredible with Orton and Riddle coming out on top. I, I love what we saw from the Street Profits at Mania. They know it's a big-time event. I think especially Dawkins – I think he could be the guy that could really break out here and have an absolute fantastic match. But 
like you said, I think the Usos are obviously retaining here, and I don't see their run ending for quite some time. Um, next match we have here is this is a really cool story. You know, with Morgan, she cashed in and she ended up beating Ronda Rousey. Now we're getting the actual rematch, Ronda Rousey versus Liv Morgan for the SmackDown Women's Title. There's been some rumblings, man, that Bailey might be returning at the event. Um, do you see Liv Morgan defending her title with, or do you see Ronda Rousey pulling a Charlotte Flair here and losing, and then just quickly winning it back? Oh man, I hope I hope Ronda Rousey doesn't win this title, <laughs> man. Oh my god, I, I hope not. I just keep it on Liv Morgan. Like I think if she loses, I think it will have the opposite effect of maybe like the past where the champion was chasing it so long and then they lose it and going back on that chase, I think people would actually turn on Ronda even more and it won't lead to a good program with whatever she does next. So I think uh, Liv Morgan's going to probably win in a similar way that she did at Money in the Bank. Maybe Charlotte comes out and attacks uh, Ronda Rousey and costs her the match or Bailey comes out and it leads to something that Liv Morgan can take advantage of and get the win while protecting Ronda. Dude, it's call me crazy. This Liv Morgan run is very similar to Daniel Bryan, isn't it? I just get that vibe from Liv Morgan. Yeah, it's she has a fans behind her, and every time she cuts a promo, like they actually seem invested. Like usually when the women's champ comes out, and it's kind of like hit or miss with them. But they've done a good job with building her up because she fell short so many times against Becky, and then she finally wins it. So I think it'd be dumb if they look at this and say you know what let's end it right now and make her chase the title again i think they need to keep this going and maybe she even improves and becomes a bigger star because of it yeah i agree man i i think you gotta cut out the attractable name because ronda rousey obviously is probably a little more marketable but that doesn't matter at this point ronda rousey has had the title you know she she came back but Liv morgan she's doing her thing right now she's she's one of the most over people in the company if you think about it all the backstage stuff, like you mentioned, the fans are just completely invested. They're behind her. And I think that's what matters more than any popular superstar like a Ronda Rousey. So she does bring the name. She's not good on the mic. She won't carry a feud. I think Liv Morgan is the right pick there. So I'm going to go with Liv Morgan also retaining. Next up we have, it's, well, I mean, this is hilarious. This is this is your favorite tag team, Alino, the Mysterios. <laughs> We've said I don't know how many times that they're going to turn on each other, and they still don't. Um, I love the backstage segment with Rhea and uh, and Aaliyah. That <laughs> was oh, freaking hilarious. <laughs> um, but what do you think about this match? You have Judgment Day, Damian Priest, and Finn taking on Dominic and Ray. This is another match, man. Honestly, I could see this being fairly, fairly good. Yeah, I think this might surprise some people. Like I know everyone's looking at the Mysterios, and like again, they're facing Judgment Day, but. Like, Ray is coming off that 20-year celebration. I think he's going to want to show out and do something special. So I'll give this a try here. But, like, I know Edge is uh, – they were supposed to have him come back on Monday, and they kind of changed their plans there. So maybe if he doesn't come back at SummerSlam, then Raw would make sense uh, to take advantage of that crowd that's still there. But I want to see Ray turn, man. Like, I, I think he needs to do it. Give his son some tough love. I think I want to see Ray just come in there and be like, you know what, that promo I cut on – Raw, he's talking about Eddie. You're like, this is what Eddie would have wanted me to do and just beat up Dominic <laughs> <laughs> and start the feud there. And then after that, it leads into Survivor Series, and then maybe they can have their own team. But 
maybe even Ray leads a faction. Uh, bring up Legado uh, <laughs> de Fantasma from uh, NXT, and they go at it. But uh, I think Ray, I, I think he's confident that he can do something special in the ring. But I want him to be more confident in uh, being a heel because I think if he be like becomes a heel, I think I can add another five years to his career. I agree, man. Honestly, you couldn't have said it better than that. I think Ray is the type of guy who's been faced his whole career. Dominic is still kind of an unknown to me. He has the potential, but I don't think he's really showed out. I remember the best match he had was obviously with Seth Rollins. Let's be real yeah. here. But, yeah, you know, they're in a good spot here. Damian Priest and Finn Balor are two incredible workers. And if there's one team that can maybe drag Ray to the dark side, maybe it's Judgment Day. And I'm not going to say he Ray's going to join Judgment Day, but maybe a hot tag or a, maybe Dominic accidentally hits him and we see Ray get a little fired up and maybe tune up the 619 on his old son. So that would be pretty, that would be pretty fun. But uh, I do like what you said about the 20 year. I think he's definitely going to try and show out here and especially bringing up Eddie Guerrero the week before. I think this is going to be an underrated match, man. Watch for this match. I think it's going to absolutely deliver, but who do you have winning this? I got to go with judgment day. Yeah, I got Judgment Day winning. I think Finn Balor, more than Priest, like Priest had a lot of success there when he was a champ, uh, U.S. champion, but like I think Finn Balor needs a big win. Like We were at the SummerSlam in Toronto when he just got absolutely destroyed. Yeah. yeah, they kind of threw him away after that. That was a way to get him back on NXT, and he goes back down to NXT, does something there, but I think they really, if there's anybody that needs something, especially with Edge out of the group here, I think uh, Finn Balor needs to get the win for his team. I'll talk a little more about Finn a little later on, but um, the next match that I do have here, which is we only have two matches left to talk about. This one, to, this is my one of my favorite matches on the card, Bianca versus Becky. We saw WrestleMania, man, like match of the night, arguably. And again, it is SummerSlam. Becky Lynch is actually the challenger here. She's trying to go for it. If you're WWE, are you going with Becky Lynch winning the title or are you going with Bianca Belair retaining? Because it's starting to feel like Bianca Belair is getting a little more hate than I anticipated. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go in another direction here. And uh, I think WWE, what they should do that, like last year was Becky coming out, surprising everyone, beats uh, Bianca Belair in like under a minute. That was terrible. Yeah, that was bad. And we saw the hate that it led to uh, Becky getting turns her heel. I think this year, uh, now that Becky Lynch is on, on bad luck in all her recent matches, John Cena, they even played on it more. He doesn't even acknowledge her when he was going backstage and clapping and uh, shaking hands with everybody. And I think they should have Bianca Belair win this in like 40 seconds, like last year when it was the other way around. So switch the ending up, see how the crowd takes it, and then go from there on Monday. I, lo- I love that too, man. I think that's a pretty accurate – if there was going to be a swerve, I think that is the swerve. Um, but I don't know why, dude. I see Becky Lynch winning this. I don't know why. She hasn't had the title for a while. I feel like WWE creative, as great as Bianca Belair has been the last two and a half years, it's one of those where – I feel like it's easy for WWE creative to take the title off her because they don't really have to worry long-term because Bianca Belair, man, can carry any feud. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be for the title. So I feel like with Becky Lynch, they've never really done Becky Lynch and Bayley that I know of for one-on-one for the title, at least for a long time. I think if you really want to go with that, you can. But again, even Bianca Belair versus Bayley is very attractable. So... 
Regardless, I really like the situation that the Raw Women's Division is in, but I'm going to go with Becky Lynch winning it here. I think she finds a way. She just, other than WrestleMania, she has Bianca Belair's number. At least mentally she does. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think, dude, honestly, call me crazy. I think that's match of the night again, Bianca and Becky. Um, But then we have the last match. We have Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar one last time. Last man standing match for the undisputed Universal Championship. What are your thoughts on the build, and what are your thoughts on the match, man? Yeah, originally I think they uh, didn't really have this plan, but because of everyone being injured, they were backed in a corner. What do you do? You call Brock off the farm and tell him, okay, we need you for Roman again, and he probably is like, fuck, okay, goes there, gets the money. Uh, it's been kind of like when he came back, that was a big pop, and it was entertaining, especially last Friday when he just came out and beat the crap out of Austin Theory. But you know what? I think this match is there's going to be a lot of wild shit going on in this because Austin Theory keeps on inserting himself. He's involved in programs with Roman and Lashley, Ziggler, and Lesnar. Like he's all over the place. There's a, there was big news there that Vince McMahon supposedly retired. They never said anything about Mr. McMahon, the character on TV, retiring. So oh, I man. got Mr. McMahon coming out and uh, helping his boy, Austin Theory, win the title. He's going to pin Brock, I think. He won't be the universal champ because he'll probably maneuver around that and they'll give Austin Theory the WWE title to carry on Raw with Mr. McMahon. <laughs> oh, my God. What a swerve there. I mean, that would be absolutely phenomenal. I, another name that I heard that can be involved in the match is Seth Rollins because, again, you know, he was supposed to face Riddle and then he hurts him on Raw. And then he goes on Twitter and he's all upset. <laughs> it's like if you guys bought a ticket, you know, like it's bullshit. I should be there, but he's not. I think Rollins, he has, you know, his history with Reigns and Lesnar. Can you see Rollins? I know you have theory winning it, but can you see Rollins somehow, some way backstage before SummerSlam starts just – enticing triple h to enter to insert him in a triple threat yeah i can see that because like rollins even uh when raw ended like we saw riddle there and all that stuff and then riddles out of this match and they're gonna postpone it for that clash of the castle event that they're having next one so i think it would make sense because rollins stares down with roman didn't really get that rematch from royal rumble uh he can go in there and he can still have theory be involved somehow in the match so I would, I think it would be a lot better if it's a triple threat. Like we've seen Roman and Brock so many times. Like maybe they both want to have a do over from WrestleMania because they both got injured in it and they want to have like a complete ending and have that kind of match. But I think if you had Seth, it will only be a better match with uh, all three involved. Yeah, I like it. Uh, so you, so you have Austin Theory winning the WWE title. D- does that mean we're going to get Cena versus Theory? For the title at WrestleMania, I think actually we'll probably get that at uh, Survivor Series. I think uh, they'll push up Cena because I don't think his like whatever movie he's doing. It's kind of like The Rock, where it's like take it whenever he can come in. So I think Survivor Series, John Cena going for the seventeenth title against Theory would make sense. Do you have him beat Theory, or do you have Theory somehow pull it off and beat Cena? Probably would have uh, seen a win if he's going to be uh, full-time, but I would go with Theory. Got to get over that young generation who uh, they have high hopes for. Uh, i probably have Theory go over Cena. 
Now, I said to you before the pod went live, if Theory were to win, I just feel like it, it's 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 too soon, man. I just feel like it's way too soon. And we, we saw it so many times in the past where like a guy that's too young would win it and then he would drop it immediately. And then it's like, oh, you don't hear his name for a while. So Theory's too good. He's been compared to Cena and Orton, like as generational. So... We saw what they did with Seth Rollins. He won the he was a undisputed champion at what like 29 years of age, 28. So I know Theory is only 24, 25 years old. I don't know though, man, because like you have Drew, you have Brock, you have Roman, you have Seth, you have a lot of guys that are at the top of their game right now. I think if you really wanted to groom Theory, you can maybe wait a little bit, but hey, if Mr. McMahon is uh if he's not patient, you know you know exactly what's going to happen. So, uh, you, so you say Austin Theory wins. I'll say Roman Reigns just retains. I'm going to go with the boring approach here. I think this guy's reign is just so fucking long. Just going to keep on going. But uh, I think there's going to be a huge swerve. I guess you think it's going to be Theory. Call me crazy, Alino. I think after the Judgment Day and the Mysterio match, regardless of the outcome, I could see Finn Balor getting a massive push with Triple H as the creative guy now. Yeah, that would be a welcome sign there because Finn Balor, ever since he won it, he was the first Universal Champ, got injured during the match because Seth, I don't know what happened there, the power <laughs> bomb, but poor guy was on a horrible run there. Started with Sting, then went to Cena, breaks his nose, and then breaks <laughs> Finn Balor's shoulder. So good thing he got that taken care of and fixed. And uh, now he's uh, one of the safer guys, but... Like, I think Finn kind of deserves it. He's, like, 41 years old now. Uh, you know, time's ticking on the guy. He's not, like, in his 20s, like, theory. So if they were going to go and do it, I think they have to do it now. Holy shit, he's 41. Oh, my God. All right. That's, uh, that's surprising. But what do you think about a guy like Edge with Finn, even, you know, with Theory in the mix here? So I assume you think Theory's going to hold it for quite some time if he wins the title. But for short-term booking, who are you having Theory take on for the WWE title if he holds it? Yeah, for because you're looking at a Raw, maybe AJ. Uh, That'd that's be a crazy. Because oh. I don't even think he's even on the show, so you can go and start a program with him. Uh, there's other guys there, like Lashley, if he didn't have the U.S. title, would have made sense. But I think AJ's, uh, AJ or Dolph Ziggler uh, would be the first one. Well, so... Here's my question, man, because I know Cody Rhodes is coming back in January, and he made that promo with his dad, how his dad never won the WWE title. Do you think if Theory cashes in, do you think he takes the Universal title? Because I think the long-term plan is, I think it's Cody Rhodes versus Roman Reigns for WrestleMania. If it's not The Rock versus Roman Reigns, I see Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania winning the WWE title for his dad. I think that is the direction I'm going in, but what do you think? Do you think he's going for the WWE or the Universal? Because I think he needs the WWE title. Yeah, I think for the story, I think he would have to go for the WWE title just to have that same impact. But I don't know about, like, I think The Rock, if they have to close with something, if none of the, like, ideas we had here like none of those predictions happen i think the rock has to at least show up at SummerSlam or raw just to kick off this program with roman but cody if uh he's going for a wwe title for some reason i just want it to be either against seth or 
to a heel Randy Orton, just Randy oh Orton being an asshole. I want to see Randy be that guy to go to WrestleMania. I think he would push his buttons and he can probably say, yeah, killed your dad's legend in the 2000s and just be an absolute prick. I think Randy would be perfect for that. Hey, it's TV 14 now, man. I think I think Randy would be perfect for that character. Be like, listen, man, I, I brought you into this world. I could take you out with one punt. And that would just that would be a hell of a feud, man. Honestly, like that has the amount, the same amount of history as Edge and Orton did with rated RKO and all that. So I was thinking it and you said it. I, I, I really thought if it's not roman reigns it's probably rollins or it's randy orton either way that's must see tv but i like i said to you i'll make a prediction right now cody rhodes is winning the royal rumble like he has to no (laughs) i think yeah cody if he's coming back in january i think uh he should win it if he comes back earlier uh maybe yeah john (laughs) cena comes back and does his thing and whoever the wwe champ i don't think he'll face roman but as another thing another big marquee match that are going to be in Hollywood. So if it's going to be in LA, you need the star studded cast there and get all the former movie stars, maybe Batista in the hall of fame that year too. So I think there's going to be a lot of part-time flavor because it's nostalgia mania after all. Here we go. It's going to be back to nostalgia mania. That's the theme. It's been the theme for a while, but uh, with that being said, I'll have anything else to add to this pod today. Oh yeah. We got some uh, final thing here in wrestling. Uh, some exciting stuff here we got uh in october aew finally uh coming to toronto finally it's gonna be wednesday october 12th and thursday i guess i don't know if it's gonna be one hour that would kind of suck maybe they do two episodes (laughs) of rampage and they film them both there but i think it's a long time coming they're on tsn so it's about time they finally uh come to this market yeah dude honestly like this is huge for us wrestling fans. Uh, I never thought AEW would come to Toronto, at least until I knew for sure that the pandemic was over. I mean, I guess it is over, but there's other stuff that's emerging now, but I don't want to talk about that. But yeah, with AEW coming to Toronto, man, that's absolutely incredible. We saw how loaded their roster is. Um, we know that Toronto, Philly, Chicago, those are the diehard wrestling cities. And it's just going to be jam packed, man. Like, it's going to be phenomenal seeing guy. I know Stink's probably not going to be there in those type of guys, but if you could see a Kenny Omega, you could see a, a, a Orange Cassidy, a, a Jericho, even a Jack, a Jack Hager, honestly, man, would be pretty cool to see. You definitely get a We The People chat, but I, I'm excited, man. We, we, me and you definitely got to go to that. Like That would be absolutely phenomenal. What do you think about Coca-Cola Coliseum? Because I know it's – it's not as big as Scotiabank Arena. I think Coca-Cola Coliseum, it's like 10,000, but I think this might help AEW in the long run that they're starting off their show in Toronto. At least the crowd and the arena will come off louder on TV. Absolutely. I think they're going with a theme like NXT. I know they're not trying to mold anything off of WWE, but WWE, man, is like the OG wrestling promotion. So I think you said it perfectly too before the pod. The, the Leafs play that night. So regardless... It's just going to be tough. So um, regardless, man, like you mentioned, with a small crowd, very limited seats, it's going to get rowdy. And it, I assume with Toronto, usually, remember when we went to Raw, and even when we went, when, at least when I went, like 2013, they had big names that night. They had Edge, they had Goldust, they had Daniel Bryan when he was at the top of his face run. 
Orton, Triple H. So at, for the most part, when a when a when a promotion comes here, they go all out. Because remember, dude, 2018 when they did Seth Rollins and, and Kevin Owens for the IC title, that was like a match of the year. Goldus versus Orton that year was a match of the year. Oh, I yeah, just I remember that. <laughs> I just I just I just feel like they're gonna have something brewing at one of these shows. It's gonna be a like if it's Adam Cole versus I don't know like Hangman or we see I don't know Orange Cassidy versus I don't know one of like maybe Luchasaurus something funny like that. I don't know, but it's just gonna be I know for sure Alino. There's gonna be one match. That's gonna absolutely blow blow the roof off the place. I, I want to see the cleaner. Kenny Omega looks like uh, his he's return clear, is no? clear. I think it's yeah. soon. So if he comes back at all, though, this leads in perfectly, and uh, he's gonna get a hero's welcome there. Good Canadian boy, dude. We all know who has to come back in Canada. Who's there? Christian Cage, man. Let's oh, yeah. go. Huge pop. He has to open the show. Cut a nasty promo on how shit the Leafs are, because <laughs> we know he's a heel, so he's or he's gonna say how Montreal's better. I don't know. He's gonna do something like that. Um, but yeah, dude, it's gonna be exciting. Which one are you looking forward to more? I think I'm looking forward more to Dynamite. But either way, man, it's like October. There's a lot of stuff going on. I just think with the direction the company's been going, and it's only up for AEW. Yeah, I think Dynamite is uh, probably the better one. They'll load up the show. Rampage will probably see more of the wrestler, like wrestling type matches. We won't see any uh, promos or anything. But I think I don't think you can go wrong either night. I think they're gonna tape some stuff just to get the crowd going, and maybe they use this as a way to see maybe if Toronto is all in on uh, AEW. Maybe a future show there. There's BMO Field, which WWE never goes to. That could be an AEW type of like crowd or stadium show, or they can go to Scotiabank arena if they see the numbers here. So I think eventually this is going to lead to a pay-per-view coming to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, for sure. And of course, Scotiabank, it has to happen eventually. I don't know about BMO field. I don't know about the Rogers center, obviously not the Rogers center, but yeah. Um, Scotiabank arena, AEW definitely has to go there at some point as again, they're competing with WWE you start small and then it only gets bigger. So I'm excited regardless, man. I really want to see Omega and I want to see Christian for sure. And you know yeah. what, dude? Honestly, how about John Moxley? I haven't seen him in a while. That'd be pretty cool to see him live again. CM Punk maybe comes back. Oh, don't get, don't get me started. <laughs> That'd be insane. That'd be absolutely insane. But anyways, man, that is episode 187 today. Talked about the blockbuster trade, Mac and Chuck. We talked about SummerSlam, our predictions. We talked about AEW coming to Canada for the first time, October 12th, October 13th. Get those tickets August 27th on Ticketmaster. But as always, it's Giancarlo Alino, Chris Martelli in the zone, signing out. Peace.